Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of the Iga and Carlos Tennis Show. Uh, we are in off-season mode here. And uh, joining me as always is Damien, my co-host. Uh, but today we also have a very special guest. His name is Juan Ignacio. You've probably seen all of his work on tennis Twitter because he is one of the most prominent members of Iga Nation, if you want to call it that. And But also he has done tremendous work with stats and just covering the WTA tour in general. And um, he does a great job. And I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation. So with that, we welcome Juan. Hello, Juan. Pleasure Hi, Manj. How Damien? Thanks a lot for the invitation. Really appreciate your work. So glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah you guys really you guys knew that was coming, right? Because we had that Carlos Alvarez special, of course. So now we kind of have to counterbalance it. And we thought of Juan Ignacio, actually. Uh, you know, he was our first choice when it comes to Iga Svante guests. And I think he'll, he's going to do excellent. So, yeah, let's just maybe start by from talking about your Iga origin story. You know, how how did you manage to become such a big fan of hers? And, you know, what sort of stage of her career was it at? And uh, also, like in terms of your tennis fandom, you know, was was tennis first? Was Ika first? Uh, was it chicken or egg? Well, I followed tennis since I can remember. Uh, my first uh, idols were Fernando Gonzalez and Roger Federer. He's the one that uh, stood up the most to me during my my childhood. But well, both of them retired pretty early. Pretty early in my life. So I stuck just with the Chilean guys, especially with Jari and Garin. But then about Iga especially, it was uh, her, the first match I watched of hers was at the US Open in 2020. I had heard about her, but I had never watched her until that tournament uh, in a match against uh, Azarenka. She lost that day. But uh, yeah, I love her style, uh, her personality. So since that day, I started following, and not even two months later, she won Roland Garros. So it was perfect timing for that. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, so growing up in growing up in Chile, so you um, as as far as tennis goes, is did you attend a lot of like local events? Um, ITFs, challengers, things like that? Well, the first tournament I attended live was the 2020 Chile Open. So it was not long ago. That was the first uh, live tournament I attended. I The first match was one with Casper Root against Del Bonis. So that was the first match. And since then, I, I've attended every year. Hope I can make it next as well. And on the WTA side, uh, I attended two times our 125k and this year I got the chance to uh, work there part of uh, the media team so it was really a, a great experience so that's like seven seven tournaments I think I, I've been able to attend here in Santiago. So you mentioned Gonzalez and Federer as your first idols, uh, but now it seems like you know the WTA is pretty much your your main interest. So has that like been a full shift to the WTA, or are you still like maybe more so you know Iga is the main sort of um, topic on the WTA, but you know are you still 
interested in, in the ATP at the same level? And if not, then, you know, what sort of brought you into women's tennis more? I still follow both. I've never quit either tour, but at first it was only ATP. So it was a transition from there to the mm -hmm. WTA, which started, I think, in late second part of 2019. Because here in Latin America, the access to women's tennis was very poor. It was not broadcast anywhere. On TV, you could only watch a few slam matches, but nothing else. Uh, there were no streaming options at all. And just in 2021, a proper streaming started here. So it's just since then that I could say that I entered properly the, the women's circuit. But I watch both, but clearly more now the WTA. And my online activity is purely WTA principally because I think there's already too many great content creators about men's tennis. So I want to make my part from, from the other side that I think is a little less represented. Yeah, that's very interesting because definitely, I mean, on Twitter or wherever, really, you have like a hundred people tweeting stats about the ATP, right? And on the WTA, yeah, I mean, it's like five of them. So yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And you also mentioned uh, liking Iga for her personality, which sometimes gets criticized by some people, right? I mean, that's, you know, she is like a bit a bit of a bookworm let's say and is a little quieter than the other stars and you know sometimes they say that uh because of that she's not going to be like a global superstar but i guess that's not really something to worry about with these sort of results like if if your results are good enough everyone is going to be interested in you anyway and clearly it you know her personality also resonates with a lot of people as well yeah i think it's about that last thing you said Obviously, it may sound like a cliche, but I think it's true that many people can relate to her in the way she is. So that's how her fan base has grown a lot in the last time. Obviously, you have to uh, carry the, make the results carry that. So, of course, can't doubt that. But yeah, I think her personality strikes a lot to me uh, in, in many senses. So that's also a reason why I started following her a lot, very closely. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously for um, keeping tabs on her at the U.S. Open in twenty twenty against um, Azarenka. What what was it about her game, or maybe the way she, if it was her game, the way she carried herself on the court, or just how um, talented you saw that she was already back then, uh, and then you know winning the French Open just shortly after that. Did you think she would get to the level that she is? right now and uh, you know how did you sort of decide that yeah this is this is the person that i want to be uh, you know following well, the most as i said before i had never watched her before that so i didn't even know that she was um, 18 19 at that time but so when i saw her play against someone as experienced as Sarenka that had just the week before one uh, WTA 1000 in Cincinnati, uh, the boldness she was, she looked so so fearless to play against such an experienced player, and um, you could see in the way she she struck the ball, how she moved on court, um, the energy she showed. So that that showed me a lot, like um, commitment to the game, and I liked that a lot. 
I didn't know that she was going to be this good. I mean, I had barely watched her a bit. So it was kind of like hitting the jackpot. Yeah, that was a good loss against Azarenka. <laughs> I remember actually yeah. it was Tomasz Wiktorowski commentating that on Polish TV. So it's in a fun twist, given what we know mm. three years later. But uh, yeah, I remember watching that. And it, I think it came after a win over Sakia Vickery in the second round, where Iga hit like 60 unforced errors and barely managed yep. to scrape through that. And then against Azarenka, she was actually, yeah, just blasting the ball and having a lot of fun on the court. And uh, yeah, it was it was reasonably tight. I remember also being pretty impressed with that. And and the Viktorovsky commentary was actually really colorful as well. I, I always loved him commentating. I kind of wish he was still doing that. But of course, that would mean either he's not working with Iga or like she lost early. So, well, um, it's probably best uh, that it stays like it is. There's also the after the match, Asarenka in the press conference. There's there was this quote speculating that she she basically said like complimenting her game and and the way she played that day, and she was already saying how good she was and how she could see her becoming the player she is right now. And well, she was right just two months later. So she the way she played that day really. Um, show what she was capable of, in my opinion. Even if she lost, I think it was 6-3, 6-2, something like that. But yeah. it was not about the score. That's interesting that actually a loss like that can sometimes be uh, a moment where you think that, oh, you know, maybe one one year from now, six months from now, and in, in her case, two months later. I mean, obviously on a different surface, but uh, it's interesting how sometimes that... Uh, the losses that really make you, uh, you know, be impressed by a player. Like, I guess now we kind of look back at that Rome loss to Arancha Rus as like, you know, that was that was a kind of a pivotal moment or turning point, I guess, uh, that period just before winning the French. But sort of after she won the French Open, did you like sort of think that it was going to become like, you know, she was going to be able to replicate it so many times and win so many big titles like she has since then, obviously, period of adjustment in 2021 and getting used to, you know, being a top 10 player, but then well, ultimately just, yeah, taking over the sport and the well, year and a half. After, after that, Roland Garros, I obviously thought that she was capable of reaching way higher heights, to say in a way. Um, I definitely thought she would be able to reach uh, the number one ranking. But I never would have thought that she was going to do such that early as just April in 2022 and started winning all these big titles and slamming everyone on tour. I don't think anyone would have been able to predict that at that stage of her career. But everyone, I think, was aware that she had that potential inside of her. Yeah, and in, in, as you said, in 2022, she was slumming everyone, 37-match win streak. Um, what's your like so, sort of whole take on, let's say, the first half of this year, actually, of 2023? Did something like actually start going wrong? Uh, was there like a feeling of, you know, being worried in you that, you know, she wasn't replicating these ridiculous heights, which, of course, were going to be very hard to follow up on? But um, yeah, still, I feel like and there were a few spots this year where uh, you could say that there were some worries in regards to maybe, well, let's say the tactical approach 
to to matches and and etc i think it was a combination of two or three things first of all there's obviously the the mental aspect and she was very open about it how um, it weighed in her mind the fact that she was a consolidated number one and everyone was going to be chasing her for that season and that the competition was going to step up against her and you could see that I think in, in the Australian Open and in the United Cup against Pegula and that were very ugly losses for her and and there's also a, a tactical aspect that was very weird. I don't know what happened there, but you can see that she kind of gave up a bit on her original play style, game style, sorry, and started overheating a lot, uh, not thinking much about what the opponent was going to start doing, um, but only focusing on herself and getting frustrated when the opponent was playing playing better. You could see that against, for example, with Anders winning the Wells or um, Alexandrova and Sabalenka in Madrid also, that she was not understanding why her rivals was were making such a, a contest of those matches. But what she did great also with, with her coach in the second part was being able to change her own tactics depending on who was on the other side of the net which was something that during, during the first half of the year and in, and in 2022, she was not doing, was, she was only focusing on herself. You, you could see her, especially in that Beijing run, in every single match she played that week, she used a different game style, perfectly designed for each of her opponents. And that was the key. And if she's able to take that into the next season, I think it is... She's up for even greater goals. Hmm. Yeah, I remember us talking about this after Beijing of how like impressive it was, how she was becoming so malleable on the court and just kind of relying on her, well, many tools, but also just like knowing that she's one of the fastest players ever, you know, on the tour right now. And she's so athletically gifted that she didn't need to resort to overhitting uh, a, lot, a lot of the times. And she could just rely on her, yeah, just you know, plan B and C and she kind of managed to do that really well in Cancun and in Beijing, but also, you know, at, at times in the in the clay court season, like the comeback win over Mohova, you know, in, in Roland Garros and we saw some of that a little bit in Benchich, but then we also saw a lot of those losses where like more in the first half of the year where she just uh there was a bit of resignation that just sort of set in. Um, I think in her approach tactically, and then also just uh, yeah, mentally, you know, not quite having that same resilience and toughness. But I think we, by consolidating herself as the year and number one two years in a row, I wonder if next year is actually the year where, you know, she can win more than just Roland Garros. And what do you think about that? Like going into next year, um, on the hard courts as well as the grass and the Olympics, obviously an important year. Um, well, she said that already that she said already that the biggest goal for her twenty twenty four season are the Olympics. So that's yeah. that's already settled. But of course, that in this year she she underperformed at the hard court slams. That's obviously two four rounds, no quarterfinals, which 
and so that means that the first bit test is already coming in in barely a month from here so it's starting starting big already um I personally have, have obviously if she has um, this 11 it's 11 matches in a row she's won already so it's a yeah. different way to start the season compared to to the others um but i think she she's in a better mental place now we'll see how that goes at the united cup which was kind of um in the end counterproductive for her preparation this year but i think that she should have learned from those mistakes and start um, in a better way then about the the olympics that's a very delicate question because there's the mental aspect and and obviously there's not only her her inner pressure so also about entire poland i'm sure there's a lot of expectations in her country about that what will happen that week so it's a very complicated task she'll have there but obviously we hope that it being in the tournament being in, in Roland Garros will be more like an, an asset for her more than than a pressure. Yeah, the pressure would really be at its highest. I, I agree about that. Like there among the casual tennis fans in Poland, there's definitely going to be it's, it's gonna be huge, especially after Agnieszka Dwajska, you know, went out in the opening round in her last two Olympics and people were like always saying that she didn't care, which you know, I have no idea. I don't even remember the London match. I think in, in um, Rio, she was just outplayed, really. But um, yeah, uh, especially considering the fact that Iga is going to be like the odds-on favorite or whatever for uh, for the Olympics, as she is for Rangaros every single year now. So yeah, these these two things combined, it is getting kind of scary. And by the way, in regards to that, so like, you know, the fact that she is basically the huge favorite for Rangaros anytime it's going to be played in the next five years, let's say at least... Um, what do you think about like the the other slams? Is is she actually you know capable of let's say winning you know a double digit number of slams and them not being like eighty percent round Garros, or does she have to go for like a Rafa Nadal sort of like dominance in terms of in in order to get that number of slams let's say to a level that would you know put her right up in the conversation of the best players ever? Well, I'm personally very cautious with long-term predictions in this mm -hmm. sense primarily because that analysis kind of overlooks uh, what the next generations may may bring if we analyze if we analyze the current tour we are not considering anyone born 2005 onwards and who knows maybe in three years from now uh, some girl born in 2006 will be just as good so and there are many cases of what ifs. So, sorry, I, I don't want to give you a prediction like that. But of course, she has the potential to to win. Yes, ten, ten more ten slams in total for sure. But the distribution, that's that's a different topic. Of course, Roland Garros, as you said, she will be the favorite for at least three, four, five years from now. But um. She definitely has the the capability to win at, in all on all three surfaces. Even this year in Wimbledon, 
on gas, which is definitely her worst surface. If you think about it, it was really about some details and she could have been there in the semis or in the final or maybe in, even get the title. So I think she has to believe more in herself. She takes herself down a lot when talking about um, her performance on grass, but she she has to believe and that she she's capable of that. And hopefully that's the message that she's getting from her coach. I guess um, also talking a little bit more tactically, um, you know, I mean, we've mentioned this on a few other episodes of of this show, but uh, we were thinking back to previous versions of Iga and how much variety she used to incorporate in her game with uh, slices and, you know, even, you know, wonderfully executed okay. drop shots on the clay and, you know, just more options to disrupt her opponent, apart from obviously the speed and the, you know, just, uh, yeah, how gifted she was uh, already, but like, uh, do you is that something that you want to see more of next year against the against the big hitters? Uh, you know when she gets a chance to mix things up a little bit, uh, and and then also about the serve, um, it being, you know, sort of having more options on that shot too when it comes to like yeah body serves or just her technique in general or just probably just these areas that will be tinkered a little bit with over over the off season and. Explored. Well, about the 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 variety, I think it's something that she'll definitely have to include in her game. I don't think it's a choice in the long term, um, mm. but but I think she knows it, and she's already said that with Thomas, she she's been working on that a lot, especially on on her volleys. That even though there are some days in which doesn't doesn't look like it, but um. If you analyze uh, with a cold mind, um, she's definitely been been hitting the, them way better than in 2022. Um, also, the serve that obviously is a shot that it's really difficult to improve over time because of the te- technical difficulty that it represents. But comparatively, it's way way improved comparatively to previous years, and I think it's been kind of overlooked, but the numbers um, back, back that up. So um, this the last part of the year, it was one of her strongest sites, actually. It was barely broken. It really was uh, one of her best uh, um, assets on her game. But yeah, I think going into next year, we're going to see more, more net approaches more drop shots that she said that she's been working also a lot in those. So yeah, I think it's something that she needs mm-hmm. to include in her game, but that she knows that and she knows that and will. Yeah. Who's the scariest rival for Shantag in 2024? Is it Rybakina or Or is it maybe you know, someone she actually has been handling a little bit better, but um, well, simply is like a stronger player like Sabalenka? Tough question. Obviously, it has to be either Ostavenko or, or Rivagina. But if you analyze each of those last six matches that she lost against both of them, uh, it was never like she never stood a chance. Except maybe in Ina Wells with Rivagina that it was 2-2 two and two was pretty ugly. But we know what was the backstory that day. Um, but in general, it was really about 
small details. She always got chances in every set she played uh, against Ostapenko was many times a set or breakup. So I think it's mainly something about um, in the mentality uh, which she brings to those matches. I think maybe she, even if she doesn't want, she goes a little scared on court against those opponents and stops doing what she knows she does best. I think it, it was pretty obvious at the US Open against against Yelena. But um, I think there are definitely matches she can win. I don't think there are impossible matchups for her. Yeah, all fair. Uh, I guess in terms of looking at opponents younger than her, or I guess this sort of new generation, 2004 and beyond, let's say, uh, on the WTA. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some, who are like some of the prospects that you think are, you know, coming up really strong, like potentially dangerous for Sviantec in terms of competition or just, you know, could be anything, any players that you feel pretty strongly about amongst uh, yeah, the, the crop of players? Well, um, Genshin Wen, each time they've played, they've gone three sets, except once, yeah. I think. So that's already a strong candidate there. Uh, Iga has always won so far. It's for zero from head to head. But all matches have been really contested. So that's that's an interesting rivalry even though the the overall number doesn't reflect that. Um, I personally love to see a match against Mira Andrieva. Yep. Um, I haven't watched her match, but I'd, I'd be very intrigued to, to see how that match would, would work out. Yeah, Shvante yeah, Andrieva definitely would, would just make major headlines anytime they, they play each other now. And I guess Andrieva against most top players, but against Shvantec specifically. Um, maybe uh, because Vanj earlier said something that made me think of a quote that I know got some heated responses in the Iga fandom. And I was I was actually um, excited to hear what you thought about it. Vanj said that um, she's like one of the fastest players ever. He said something yeah. like that, I think. And basically after the US Open, we had Mark Petri coming out with this quote on Coco Goff that she's the best athlete we've ever seen in women's tennis and I know a lot of people thought that maybe well you know he's just talking about like raw speed whereas Iga is actually the one who's like you know sliding on on hard courts to every ball and pulling off these ridiculous shots on the defense as well despite maybe being just you know a little slower I guess but yeah what's your what's your take on that is it like way too early to to go out with statements like this, you know, should Iga be included in the conversation along with Goff if someone is is trying to say that she's the best athlete we've ever seen in women's tennis? Well, of course, it's undoubtedly that for both of them, their their athleticism, it's probably their their best element in their games. Now, that's a that's a different conversation. Now, if you want me to include them. In the all-time category, I don't know. <laughs> Personally, I I say that they're very strong and surely in during their entire careers will will start working from from that aspect and start uh, from that base, knowing that they're better physically than their rivals. And I think that gives them both a lot of confidence that you know we can stay here three hours. I I don't mind. We can stay rallying as much as we want, 
I, I won't get tired. So you have to beat me in a different way. But um, yeah, I don't know why compare them like who's better than the other. Just enjoy them both. I, people think I hate Coco in some way because that's how fandom works. Uh, I've gotten some beefs with, with some of their fans, but no, I, I like her a lot as a person yeah, and as a player as well. So I'm glad you said that because, I mean, that's something obviously we've seen more in the big three sort of fan base, but also just more generally now where it's just like, if you're a fan of one of them, you almost have to, you know, almost in a way put down the other two or put down one of them, which, yeah, I mean, this makes uh, all these toxic debates that are, uh, yeah, that people just get like to get involved in. But uh, I guess, I hope that's not going to be the case with the Iga and Coco rivalry because, I would love to just yeah like appreciate both of them like you said and you know because they're yeah they're two really good talents in this generation and they're they're both just so quick around the court and you know there's also of... so much there's also so much room for improvement for them both yeah, yeah you can you can see the the nine one head to head now and but they're both not even 22 23 so mm-hmm. Who knows what could happen in the next? They'll be playing against each other for twenty years from now. So, what was um, Rogers head to head with Novak at the start of the careers was not as not like one one, but pretty sure was like was pretty one sided as well. And in the end, yeah. Novak turned it around. So, hopefully, mm. Coco has some liabilities, especially on the forehand, that she still hasn't be able to to solve and that against Iga shows um yeah. shows that uh, sorry and against Iga that liability shows the, the most but it's not something that she can work on. She's not gonna stagnate as a player when she's already just nineteen. So I think people overlook a bit this this rivalry only because of the results we've already seen. But going forward, I can't see why it would would make a, a strong and very even rivalry between them. Something we haven't really talked about, I guess, is the fact that Ika is a bit of a, well, I guess a trendsetter in a way in terms of the involvement of Daria Abramovic in her team, like how important she is for that. You know, that's not really something we've seen too much in tennis you know and up, up until a certain like let's say recent time maybe sometimes it was even like taboo to use a mental coach a sports psychologist now of course it's it's very common it's very helpful for all players but very few still have you know as sports psychologist that is so important in in your team some even say that maybe she's more important than Viktorovsky and of course when Iga's like not doing extremely well when she has a couple of bad losses that's also the the target that people go for right that's the uh, sort of weak spots that they think they see and they sort of try to say that what what the hell are they doing I mean why is she for example crying after a loss if she has a sports psychologist of course that's you know kind of rubbish but anyway uh what's your you know what's your take on that and like that the whole relationship that they have from from a ega fan perspective and I guess um you know how how do you see that that um sort of whole dynamic in in ega's team? working well i think it's it's a very delicate topic um, especially for for the age the 
they started working together. And of course, you, you see the, the development comparing uh, her demeanor on court from 2018, 2019 to now. She's now very much more composed on court. She doesn't get frustrated as before. Obviously, she's uh, an emotional person naturally, so that's not, not something that it's going away just because she's working with a psychologist, but she she knows better how to hold her 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 emotions on board and how to work with them. So I think that's that's the main uh, aspect that she's improved in that matter. Now the other thing uh, on the other side is that it's important to um, realize that when go when things don't go your way, not only think are because of the mental aspect. I mean, it's not just because of which you were weaker in a in the mental game, but also focus on the tactical aspects. You know that these things go combined, not like you can only blame one or the other. So it's it's a combined work that you have to take into account, and are both the both explain her her development as a player as, as a whole yeah actually i don't know if you saw that because it wasn't it was an interview in polish but viktorovsky said the same like three or four days ago in an interview where um yeah basically he said that sometimes people just look at this as you know all the top players have a great game so it's really all about the mental aspect and his stance on this was like more so um if everything is right in the game then you can feel comfortable on the court. So in, in a way, he was maybe even underplaying the mental aspect of the of the game a little bit. But he certainly more or less said what you just said right now. So yeah, I think that's pretty key in a lot of analysis to combine the two things, like psychologically as well as tactically. Because I think that's what makes it all flow. Because if you just don't believe, then you're not going to be able to pull off those kind of shots that you need under pressure, but then you also need to pull those shots up under pressure in order to believe. So it's kind of a, you know, chicken and egg situation sometimes, but that's why this sport is so difficult. And that's why it's so hard to, you know, replicate weeks and weeks upon weeks of great success. But uh, yeah, also in terms of, uh, I guess in terms of her off-court persona a little bit, um, she loves to read, right? So that's 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 obviously very clear. She has a book club. She likes to. She strikes me as someone who's very curious about the world, who reads up on a lot of different topics, who's genuinely very interested in a lot of different things outside of tennis. So you know, and which I think is quite healthy uh, in, in in a lot of ways. So do you think like you know balancing that ambition along with you know the competitive drive to do well on in, in tennis and be the best version of herself finding that balance is that something that is going to be long-term like sustainable for her because it seems like she's kind of for, found a way to make it work and have like a this balanced approach yeah that's that's very interesting but of course there's there's not just one recipe for for success and i think it's very interesting that that duality that she shows of yeah. between um, how she shows herself on the court and off the court. Obviously, no one wants to be around her when she's playing tennis. Uh, she's ruthless and won't care about anything and anyone. 
and and of course on court of court sorry she seems more well more more introvert um and and of on the court she like lets herself be a be a be a little bit more open and i think that's that's a way that tennis helps her a bit but also she said that she said that um sometimes wants just to disconnect from him from it at all and not think about tennis for a while and that's when you get like these burnouts so mm -hmm. it's very healthy as you said to have all these side side interests to do yeah. of course there's the reading uh, the book things uh, she I don't know TV show these Legos that she shows on her social media, so that's that's a very um, healthy balance because if it's all your life it's dedicated to to tennis, when things things start to to crumble a bit, um, the whole building can go go down to say. Even though she's an introvert, she's also using her social, like her platform to address social issues and like promote change that she considers important. So is that also a, a part of why you like her personality? You know, the fact that she, even as a, maybe a little bit of a quieter person than most other stars of the game, she's also quite active on the, let's say, social issues front. Well, I think she's a person that is aware of her position not only as a sports leader, but just as a natural leader. And she's been able to use that voice um, for the things that matter to her. I've said many things on many times, sorry, on, on social media that it's important to realize that each, per each person has the right to choose the battles they want to fight. You can pretend these, these stars to be everywhere and commenting on every issue in the world. So obviously you're gonna pick the ones that are closer to you, to your family, to your country. So, but she's been very vocal about those issues that she picks to talk about. She's very committed to those. And you could see, especially with with the war in, in Ukraine, how she's stand, she stood for them organizing these these charity events and generally showing showing her support. So that's that's also a very interesting um, side of her. How she's she's used that platform that tennis has given her. Yeah, I totally agree. I think she's recognized that she's uh, kind of an ambassador for the game and leader in a way. And so, yeah, it seems like she's uh, taking that. She's more comfortable now in that role. I would say, um, of being of of being that number one because obviously it it comes with a lot of uh, like those expectations, uh, you know, on on social media and also just yeah promoting the game. But in in terms of in terms of like the game right now where it's at, obviously the the quality got a lot better in terms of let's say the top players improving and just generally challenging each other a lot uh, this season. So on court, we've definitely seen that improvement. But off the court, what is your impressions of where WTA is kind of at right now? It's a very loaded question, I know, because of uh, you know a lot of things we can get to that we don't have time, honestly, uh, in this podcast. But you know, with uh, with sort of the structure and the leadership at the top of the WTA, along with yeah, just 
we like had some change today, right? Coming up, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we had some change today. So, um, so like, what what are you, what are your your thoughts on WTA as a whole, leadership wise? Well, obviously, as Safan is, is I see it as a very worrying state of the mm-hmm. women's organization because um, you can see that the game itself it's in a very healthy position um, with many interesting top players that get a lot of, a lot of attention everywhere in the world um, earning millions on the court being the the best representatives of women's sports in the world overall and unfortunately um, that hasn't that effort that the players put on court um, hasn't had an organization that it's worth of them that deserves them and I think that's very sad actually because I think they, they deserve better and of course the the circus we saw for the W3 finals was the the, the last drop and so I'm I really want to see how the players will stand up against that going into 2024. There are already many changes in the in the rules. I don't think they will like them. So, yeah, I I think the this new idea of a super league. I don't know how realistic it is, but I could yeah. see that that idea attracting a lot of players because the, the WTA is really um, doing everything wrong right now. And the players don't deserve much better. They're being basically exploded by them. So I hope many things change, and and the current um, ch- the changes we saw today um, in the the leadership of the organization are just a small most small screen in my opinion. I don't think mm-hmm. it will it will change much. So we'll see how how we go from here but i'm not optimistic personally yeah i mean um we'll see how it all changes and evolves uh you know hopefully yeah it, it just becomes women's tennis just uh, you know gets elevated more and more because yeah i mean the, it deserves the kind of spotlight and it's the yeah i mean it should be the premier sporting organization in terms of I mean, you look at like the highest paid athletes, like most of them are all tennis players, right? On the women's side. And so, you know, we'd like to see that being more shown on the world stage and hopefully uh, the WTA can sort these the, these kind of things out. But um, yeah, it just remains to be seen. And uh, yeah, with that, uh, I think this was, this was about all we had for you today. Honestly, it's pretty, pretty good conversation. We hit on many topics, Shriantek related, and uh, yeah, it was nice to hear your takes on all these issues. Well, thank you. It was it was really a pleasure to to meet you too, and being able to to talk to you about this sport that we like so much. So thank you. Yeah, we ended on a yeah. bit of a grim note with the pessimism with regards <laughs> to the WTA. But yeah, I enjoyed the conversation as well, of course. And and yeah, we absolutely delivered on what we were expecting to to get from you. And uh, I think you are definitely a great pick for the Igash Fiontek special of the offseason. Yeah, so I guess that's a wrap, guys, uh, on the episode with Juan. I uh, hope you, all of you guys enjoyed it. Um, be sure to leave us a review and rating on, on Apple. Um, follow us on Twitter at Eagle Carlos Tennis. 
follow Juan on Twitter as well. Uh, great follow. A lot of interesting stats. A lot of um, really good WTA content in general, not just Igor Shmiontek, I must say. So um, yeah, definitely check all of that out. And we'll be back for many more episodes in 2024.